Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. And I'm Ian. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome, Ian. Yeah, thank you. You've been on the show a couple times as as our uh, cocktail expert, talking about different ways that we could blend some drinks at the end of a couple episodes. So we brought you on so you can we can just talk cocktails. I mean, why talk about all that other stuff? And let's let's just talk about what we're drinking, right? Right, the good stuff. So wanted to get a little bit of background about your relationship with alcohol. Yeah, so I started working with alcohol at a fairly young age. I started working at a wine bar when I was 18. So as soon as I legally was able to, I was working at a wine bar um, in downtown Ann Arbor. And I worked there for five years. And so I got to learn a lot about wine and I got to develop a palate quite well there. And then from there, I moved to a cocktail bar. And I was able to really learn a lot more about cocktails. From there, I was mentored a bit by a couple of different people and shown different things and allowed to experiment a lot, which I really appreciated. Kind of fully opened the doors into the world of alcohol to me. At the same time at the cocktail bar, I started working at the local distillery, Ann Arbor Distilling Company where I became the apprentice to the head distiller there. And I was learning how to actually make alcohol now. So I went from wine to cocktails to making the actual alcohol that we all enjoy. Would you be a distiller? Um, From apprentice distiller, you would be considered a distiller. You're a head distiller once you've became like the head person making everything at a specific distillery. Otherwise there are like, there are master blenders, there are max master mixers. There, there's, you can master in a lot of different things within the realm of distillation. So there are people that like master in mash bills of like the grains you use to make high proof alcohol ethanol right now i'm not officially called a distiller but i'm not really apprenticing anymore i do a lot of the stuff on my own i've been there for almost the full year now and it's just me and the head distiller back in the production space very nice. Very nice. So I, all, all sorts of questions coming up. And if you don't mind, this is a slightly different route than we were taking, but I've, I've, I've got questions I'm going to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so th- to hit that master level, what does that take or entail? Is that schooling? Is that education? Is that experience? Or, or do you know? <laughs> it, it's kind of a couple of different things. Experience, skill, education, But in the end, it comes down to someone else gives you that title. Someone else deems you a master. You can call yourself a master distiller if you want. There's no specific 
certification or requirement to become a master distiller. It's usually something that's just kind of bestowed or deemed upon somebody. I didn't realize there was no, I guess, official path or, or designation or group that makes you a master. I like that it kind of gets bestowed on you. And I'm assuming anybody who is in the industry and takes it seriously, of course, is not just going to grant themselves that they are going to rightfully earn it. So that's really cool to know. Thank you. Um, Let's just kind of dive in a little bit to today's topics, which is cocktails and asked you to kind of come up with some of what you thought were maybe your favorites or some of like the more common popular ones out there. And so we're just going to kind of work our way through this list. So let's just start with the the good old uh, Negroni. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what is a Negroni, kind of what's in it, and we'll kind of go from there. The Negroni is probably one of my just go-to favorite drinks. It's classic, it's simple, it's delicious. It's probably the easiest cocktail to make at home, or at least one of the easiest cocktails to make at home. It's equal parts Campari, gin, and sweet red vermouth, stirred with ice and garnished with an orange peel. But what I like about it the most is that it's very, it's very simple, but has a lot of deep flavors going on with it. And the best thing I think about it is that you can kind of make it any way you want. There's a lot of different variations that you can come off of from it. Somebody that likes making up their own cocktails, it has great backbone. So you just kind of do spins off of it any way you want, and you're going to have a good cocktail in the end. But the backbone of a Negroni is balanced and complex in flavor. So Spinning off of it allows you to do a lot of fun things, which I like. Nice, definitely. And I think along the lines of what you're saying, I'm going to throw in this little quote that I I came across here uh, by Orson Welles. The bitters are excellent for your liver. The gin is bad for you. They balance each other. (laughs) <laughs> so you're talking about having that balance and apparently there you go you got the yeah. the gin bad for the liver but then you also have those bitters that are good for it and so you're fine right it's like water at that point <laughs> i like the way you think yeah. anything else on on negronis the interesting thing like with negroni is that it's a considered a classic cocktail but it's a spin off of an even older cocktail. And I think that's where all the best cocktails come from is their spins or variations done on classics. So the Negroni comes from the cocktail called the Americano, which is equal parts Campari, sweet red vermouth, and soda water. A bar patron in Italy wanted his Americano to be stronger So his friend that was a bartender replaced the soda with gin and called it after him, which his last name was Negroni. And that's where we got Negroni. Yeah. And I found that too. And I thought that was very interesting because I always wondered like, where the heck does the name Negroni come from? Right? Like who decides this is what it's called. And apparently Mm -hmm. when you have something to do with the origin of a drink, you get it named after you. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That happens quite a bit. Nice. I don't know if you know anything about this, but apparently there's a barrel aged version where I guess you mix it up and then put it in a barrel and age it. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. That sounds very interesting, though. I've been enjoying my barrel aged beers. I've been enjoying my barrel aged just about everything these days. And so when I saw that, I'm like, I need to find me some barrel aged Negroni somewhere. Yeah. I'll have to look into that to see if you need like a new barrel or a used barrel. Probably like something that's been used at least once or twice. Okay, so uh, let's move on and let's talk about what I'm drinking today, which is the Old Fashioned. Mm. Uh, and I've got to clarify on that because I, I, I know everyone knows I'm unsophisticated here, so it's no secret. And for a long time, I've kind of, was it Old Fashioned or Old Fashioned? But it is an actual Old Fashioned with, with the D on the end there, right? Yeah, the E-D. Uh, what is an old-fashioned? And let's talk about those a little bit. Yeah, so an old-fashioned is very typically one and a half to two ounces of a bourbon or a rye or a whiskey of your choosing with a sugar cube that's about a half a teaspoon amount of sugar, a few dashes of bitters, and garnished with an orange peel. Um, very simple, you build it in the glass, you kind of stir your ice cube or ice cubes around in the glass and kind of pinch the orange peel over top and there's your old fashioned. Another really simple, easy drink to make at home, but also very delicious as well. Real yeah. quick, you forgot my favorite part, the cherry. The cherry. So there are a lot of different opinions on how to like properly make an old fashioned. Ah, there are okay. some people that say no cherry. There They're wrong. Other, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm just I agree. kidding. I am one of those people that thinks there should be a cherry. I prefer to use like a, a brandied cherry. And when you muddle your sugar cube, which I like to muddle the sugar cube with the bitters. Preferably, I like to use two kinds of bitters, at least one of them being an orange bitters, like Peychaud's and then Angostura orange. Those two together, muddle your sugar cube up with that, make it into a bit of a paste, throw in your brandy cherry, kind of squish it a bit, and then you put in your whiskey of your choosing, put in the ice cube, stir it around a bit, chill up the glass with that, then you garnish it with the orange. That's the perfect old fashioned, in my opinion. I, I'm right there with you. A uh, couple of things I was, wanted to kind of cover, which you are right on top of there, is I think you have to do that muddling. Mm -hmm. I was making them myself and I wasn't muddling and one day I'm like, ah, oh, I'm gonna, and the difference in the flavor is, huge just like doing that little bit of muddling there otherwise the the sugar doesn't distribute properly and doesn't really do anything for you yeah yeah and i don't know it's just yeah there it, maybe that that's that's got to be it yeah the sugar because all i know is it's just not the same without and then the other thing that i have to say that i do which is just my own little personal thing take a spoonful of the cherry juice uh, and then I pour that in there. So it's yeah. like just that little bit of cherry juice uh, that, I don't know, 
I just love it. It yeah, makes me no, happy. It's really good. I'm sorry I interrupted you there because because I had to talk you know about the, the cherry there, but I think one of the other things you're talking about too, which is true of the Negroni and several of these others, is there's so many different variations, and that's above and beyond just cherry or no cherry, which really gets tough for me sometimes because it's hard to go to a restaurant and just order an old fashioned because it could be something completely different yeah. any place you go, right? Yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get, and you if you're if you're dining at a restaurant, the server might not know how that bartender working that night is going to make it. Mm. You can always tell them, but you don't always want to be that person. Right? <laughs> right. Talk to me a little bit more about anything you might have on old fashions. Well, something interesting about the old fashioned is that the very first version of an old fashioned was not made with any sort of whiskey. It was originally made with gin, mm. uh, which I found very interesting when I was looking into old fashions is that originally it was made with gin and the garnish with this version had no cherry whatsoever, but the garnish was a lemon peel and not an orange peel, but it still had the sugar and the bitters and it was gin. And it wasn't until the late 1800s that they made it with bourbon, first bourbon in Kentucky at a gentleman's club. But then there's also a little bit of controversy with a lot of cocktails as to where they actually came from and who did it first. Because in around the same time, there was a bartender in Chicago that said they made it first. So I kind of lean towards believing that they did it first in Kentucky. That's just because Kentucky's known for their bourbon. And I feel like if anyone's going to do a spin off of this really old gin style drink, it's going to be the people that are famous for bourbon. And I, and I agree. And I think there's also some room for because uh, most of these drinks have like multiple origin stories. Okay. Uh, but I think there's room for potentially more than one person came up with the idea. I also agree. I mean, if you're heavily influenced by bourbon, uh, there's probably a better chance that you're going to come up with the idea to replace it with bourbon than somebody just elsewhere. Right. I did find it interesting on the, the name where the name Old Fashioned came from. Did you get anything on that? I don't think I came across anything on that. Okay, so according to theory, uh, it was inspired by drinkers who refused to change and ordered their drinks the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so I want my drink the old-fashioned way, which was a brown spirit, sugar, water, and bitters. I like that. And then if you got an extra $1,500 lying around and you really want a top-notch, well, I don't know if it's a top-notch, well, it probably is, but anyway an extremely expensive old fashioned, let's go with that, uh, at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, DC, they actually have a $1,500 old fashioned drink. Oh, wow. I'm gonna take a minute here too, as we talked a little bit on the, the garnishes, um, we talked about the cherries and stuff like that. I have feelings about garnishes and what could or could not or should or should not be done with them. For example, I'm like, there's a cherry in my drink, I'm going to eat the cherry. There's a yeah. pineapple on the glass. I'm going to eat the pineapple. Uh, I'm like 
garnishes are there to be consumed. And right. I've always kind of wondered, is that, I don't know, am I that guy <laughs> going back to that? who's just sitting there like gnawing down on his piece of pineapple and everyone's kind of giving me a funny look or not. So do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? I think the garnishes are definitely meant to serve a purpose. There's Unless it's like not edible or doesn't add something to the drink, the garnish does serve a purpose. And I think from there, if the person enjoying the cocktail wants to eat it, they're more than welcome to. It's like how everyone has their own taste and their own way they enjoy drinks. So if you want to eat your orange or eat your lemon or eat your pineapple and then enjoy your drink or kind of nibble on it throughout your drink or eat it afterward. I think why not? It's there. It's meant to be enjoyed with the drink. It's a part of, you know, the drink experience. So I think it, there's no poor etiquette in not eating it you know it's not it's not bad i do think which i have experienced as as a bartender in my past it's rude if you don't want the garnish and instead of telling your bartender or server you don't want the garnish instead you take it off the glass and throw it at the bartender what that has happened to me several times and that's poor etiquette that's that's not okay that's get your butt out of my bar right there i'm sorry (laughs) that's you just if you don't want it you take it off the glass you set it down your bartender or server will just throw it away take it away and they won't be offended so i looked this up and it's you know i guess they're there to add color and flavor and all that other good stuff but here's here's the official bits now first of all to speak to what you just spoke to there because I think this is important. If it's an inedible part, like don't eat the umbrella, right? Um, Or you just don't want it, then you should put it on the cocktail napkin, leave it in the glass, put it on a bread plate. You should avoid putting it actually on the table or setting it on the bar. It makes things sticky and gross. And never, ever, ever, ever... (laughs) throw it i'm sorry anyone i don't care who it is uh especially the person who just served you because i'm sorry you did that to me if you stay you should be dubious of anything else i'm serving you the rest of the night (laughs) i'm sorry that's just me and then they also say it's it's definitely okay to eat it if it is edible uh however you should not wet your fingers to get it. So if you have to like dip into the alcohol or, or whatever it is to get the, wait till you drink enough to get down to the point where you can, you can get it to eat it. Cause, and yeah. that makes sense. You know, you shouldn't be yeah. fishing around in the glass to get it. Although I won't deny that I haven't done that. Although usually that's after a couple of drinks when I'm just like, I'm done. You're ready for it. Yep. Okay, so now we can safely, I think, uh, move along to uh, the Sazerac, which is what you're, you're drinking there, correct? Yeah, the Sazerac, which had two, two of the ingredients in it I made myself, which is fun to always like make a drink with things that I've made. Um, the traditional Sazerac is one and a half, to two ounces i always say that because it 
depending on how boozy you want it. So two ounces. Yeah, for myself, it's always <laughs> two ounces. Uh, but those that want a little lighter, one and a half. But two ounces of either rye or cognac. About a fourth an ounce of absinthe you use to either rinse the glass or you can leave it in, depending on your preference. And three dashes of pesha, two dashes of angostura, both bitters, and a sugar cube with a little bit of cold water. And you garnish that with a lemon peel. This drink is also, like the Negroni, is also stirred with ice and then strained into a rocks glass. How you like rinse a glass with absinthe is a lot like making a dry martini, which we'll get to later as well, but um, you take that little bit of absinthe, you splash it into the glass, kind of like swirl it around and then you splash it out. That's like rinsing the glass. Uh, I like absinthe, so I leave it in. I leave, it's only a tiny bit, fourth ounce. I leave it in when I make it. Thinking about that, that's kind of almost like, do you like a couple shakes of pepper or a lot of shakes of pepper on, on food or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, because so it's kind of your preference on the flavor because that little bit's just going to lightly flavor it. Whereas if you leave it in there, you can get a little bit more. Is that the yeah. thinking behind it? It's kind of like when a recipe says one clove of garlic, but you being a wise person puts in four cloves of garlic. I know why we get along really well. <laughs> yes. Okay. Got it. I totally understand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Just like garlic. Okay. Um, but the Sazerac is a very um, simple drink, just like the old fashioned, but a little bit more complex in flavor, kind of like our Negroni. Very easy to make at home. You don't need a mixing glass. You could even, if you wanted, you could make it in the glass and take out the ice cubes or leave them in if you would rather your drink kind of get watered down as you drink it. If you're doing that, you could leave out the half teaspoon of water when you put it in. Most drinks are all based on your preference when you're making them. Uh, this is how you would probably receive it at a bar if you were to order that at a bar though. But what I, think is interesting with this drink is that it was originally made in Crescent City in California using French cognac, but which gets its name Sazerac is because they were using Sazerac cognac. It wasn't until the drink kind of made its way to New Orleans a little bit later in the 1800s that they started using bourbon. And then it wasn't until 2008 that New Orleans declared that it was the official drink of New Orleans, which yeah. I think is interesting. No, I found that very interesting too, because I'm always interested, again, where do these names come from? Yeah. And it was actually named after Sazerac Cognac, as, as you noted. 
And then it's also apparently supposedly, again, according to internet lore, it could be or is rumored to be or believed to be, uh, depending on where you fit on the, the scale there, America's first cocktail. Whether that's true or not, uh, we'll leave it up to other people. Yeah. Whether you think it's originally from California or originally from New Orleans, I bet both places make a really good one. There you go. I as long as you make it right, who yeah. cares, right? If if you like whiskey and if you like absinthe, it's an enjoyable drink. Uh, all right, so let's talk about the daiquiri. Yeah, the daiquiri. The daiquiri is a fun one because I think it very it fits the summer season quite well. Um, it's one and a half to two, but preferably two ounces of white rum, uh, uh, a ounce of lime juice, and about three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, preferably like a demerara, a darker raw sugar, simple syrup. And you garnish that with a lime twist. This drink is actually shaken and strained into a chilled coupe glass. It's very simple, but very enjoyable, very light and fresh and tasty. Um, what I thought was a little bit more interesting about the daiquiri, though, is that it's an older drink um, that kind of predates World War I in Cuba. Um, it's considered the like Havana classic. And there's a little bit of controversy on where it came from. The, the first written record of the drink came from an American engineer working in Cuba at the time who ran out of gin. So instead of using gin in a drink while throwing a party, he used rum. And they called it the Daiquiri because that was the name of a local port town uh, nearby to where he lived. Being Cuba, they've had rum for a very long time. He was probably not the first one to make a Daiquiri, but he was the first one to write it down. The date on the card that he, like the little recipe card was 1896. So, it's a very old cocktail. It's a very classic cocktail. I think it kind of gets forgotten about a lot and a lot of people kind of write it off a bit as being just something that you remember because you woke up with a hangover because you had too many of them. <laughs> Not like, that that's ever happened to you, right? Oh no, never, never. <laughs> No, I agree. And I think, I think you're right there too, that, you know, all of those ingredients existed in uh, Cuba long before then. So they were probably drinking that long before then, but you're right. He wrote it down, he brought it back and, and it spread. So there you go. Oh, and, and the other thing I like, again, just the, the, I always kind of wonder the origin of, of names and daiquiri. It just happened to be the, the name of a nearby town. So mm -hmm. Uh, and, and thus it is. And July 19th, which we have unfortunately passed, uh, is actually National Daiquiri Day, in case you I did not know that. Yes. So uh, next time you, you need an excuse for a daiquiri on July 19th, you've, you've got one. 
Yeah, it's the perfect time for one too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit iffy on like slushy drinks. They have to be strong enough for me to still enjoy them. I find a lot of places they'll put in the normal amounts of booze and then blend it with too much ice and it tastes very watered down. Uh, a good bar knows how to do that properly. And when they, when you find that place, they're amazing. I love them. There's a lot of truth to that. I, I'll have to agree to that because blended well, it's like an alcoholic slushy and yeah, how can you go good. wrong? <laughs> right. But not blended right. It's, it's a, you know, just kind of, you need a whisper of a daiquiri. Yeah, right? No, I wanted to yell at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk uh, Manhattans. Yeah, this is another cocktail that is also named after a place where it was made, uh, where you have two ounces, and this is officially two ounces, of either bourbon or rye. My preference would lean a bit more rye. Uh, one ounce sweet red vermouth, two dashes of bitters, traditionally Angostura, and a dash of orange bitters if you're so inclined, which I, I like to mix bitters. And you garnish that with a brandy cherry. I've seen them also garnished with a little, like an orange peel and a cherry. Um, these drinks, uh, very similar to like the old fashioned Manhattans, the garnish can kind of change a little bit, but traditionally you have a brand new cherry on there, stirred and served in a chilled coupe glass. Manhattans are classic. They're probably one of the most famous cocktails in the world. I thought the history of this drink was very interesting uh, because the there is yet again more controversy of where this drink actually came from. I'm sure you, you read this as well, that the most, quote unquote, the most likely first account of this drink being made was at a party thrown by Jenny Jerome, who is the mother of Winston Churchill at a Manhattan nightclub. And so that's where it got its name. Others say though that it was made by a bartender that was named, his name was just Black. And he lived on Broadway in the 1860s where Jenny Jerome's party took place in 1874. So not sure where it really came from first, but it's still considered one of the most popular cocktails today, which I think is very interesting. It also is considered one of the first vermouth drinks. That's like a cocktail using vermouth that it even predates the martini. It definitely predates the Negroni. The Negroni wasn't invented until like 1917 um, or 1919. And so that's kind of where, when we were talking about backbones earlier, a lot of cocktails you see nowadays are kind of based off of the Manhattan. 
It's a very good classic cocktail. Nice. So I think this is the last one we're going to get to today. Unfortunately, we may have to come back and do this again. And that's going to be the martini. So let's, let's talk about the martini because I know there's a lot to talk about here. Some more controversy and then some more fun facts. So let's go. Yeah, the, the martini is what most people think about when they think cocktail. And it's definitely one of my favorites as well. It's very classic. It's timeless. And it's a go-to for most people. Um, a classic martini is two and a half ounces of gin, a half ounce of dry vermouth, one dash of orange bitters, and garnished with a lemon twist. Uh, you stir that, not shaken. It's not shaken like James Bond was wrong about <laughs> how he ordered his martinis. And you serve it, obviously, in a chilled martini glass. However, these drinks, martinis are made in a lot of different ways. It's dependent on where you go. Generally, though, a martini is eight ounces of booze. Most places will put in, if you order a dry martini, they'll do a rinse, like we talked about earlier, of the glass with your vermouth, and they'll splash it out. A classic one, you, you leave that in there. Most so is that the difference between a dry and a, and a non-dry martini then? If you order just like a martini, they would leave in that like half ounce of vermouth. If you order dry, they'll splash it out for sure. And they'll like do a, give it an extra shake. So there's like none in there at all. Interesting. Okay. I've always, that fun fact. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay, carry on. <laughs> My preferred way of drinking a martini though is called a wet martini, where you put in a little extra vermouth and you leave that in there. Okay. Um, that makes there sense. Are, yeah, there are many mar vermouths, like I said, and there's some very delicious ones that are better than what you would normally receive at a bar. Making a wet martini with those are fabulous. I, I highly recommend finding a quality vermouth and making a wet martini out of it. But most places you go to now, they're not going to make a martini with any sort of bitters in it. You can request that. They are really good that way, but usually you're not going to find that anymore. There are many different variations of it, which is very interesting. Like most people, when they hear martini, they think vodka. And vodka martinis are 100% valid and good drinks, but they are, that's not the original way to drink it. That's not how most people that love martinis drink a martini. It's usually gin. There's a dirty martini, which you, it's exactly the same as your normal recipe. You just add in an extra half ounce of olive brine, olive juice, and you add as a garnish instead of your lemon peel, you have like two to four olives. Uh, there's also a version of the martini where your garnish is a pearl onion, and that's called a Gibson. Hmm. 
which is a is a good drink if you like onions at all it's a fun drink so does that onion flavor really come through then i'm assuming it does it like it balances out your other flavors a lot because you have these oils from the onion it's like pearl onions you know are kind of sweet and a little tangy almost so it like balances out your other flavors in there adds like a little bit of like a natural kind of saltiness to the the fun thing about martinis is that you can do so much there are so many different drinks out there that are based off of it like the cosmo a cosmopolitan that's that's a martini you have the dirty martini you have the gibson many bars their bartenders will make up drinks that are based off of a martini have you heard uh, about the uh, the burnt martini i don't think i have burnt martini is it's just a touch of a smoky whiskey oh just like a little splash yeah yeah interesting so. i'll have to give that a try with like some history it's a little murky like a lot of other origins and where it really came from a bartender in new york named martini di armara di tagia i'm poor both pronunciations so i probably murdered his name and i'm not going to come help you because i just make it worse (laughs) yeah but apparently this italian man named first name martini invented it in new york city at the Knickerbocker Hotel before World War One, but that was the like the dry recipe. There's also people saying on the the internets that it's a spin off of a sweeter version, which was the original way, which is a drink that we know to be called now as like the Martinez where you use sweet vermouth. And I mentioned a little bit earlier with Negronis that you can find sweet white vermouths. And this is a drink that you, you can use a sweet red vermouth, but a sweet white vermouth is usually used as well with a Martinez. And that one you use a little bit more vermouth as well, kind of like a wet martini. There's no specific time that the martini was officially said to have been made that I could find. It is the classic cocktail that people think, when they think cocktail, they think martini. And that's uh, going back to backbones. The martini is one of the most well-known backboned cocktail. Yeah. Well, you already gave just numerous variations off of it there. And even uh, in the logo for the podcast, the the cocktail is a martini glass. You're right. I mean, it's like, or even bars, whatever. If you want to say cocktails, you show that martini glass. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we also missed this by a little bit, Mm -hmm. but June 19th would be National Martini Day. So I didn't know that either. Yeah. So fun facts there. And now, before we go, uh, I want to dive into this controversy here because there's, you mentioned this at the beginning of the, the martini here, the shaken versus stirred thing. I was not aware it was as much of a controversy. I did see some very interesting stuff about it, but before I try to spout what 
little knowledge I gained off of the internet here. Why don't you tell me your thoughts on, on the, that? I do have my opinions, but what I think it comes down to is personal preference, how you like your drinks to taste. It shouldn't really matter what officials have to say about how it should be done. My personal opinion, though, is that if you are making a gin drink of any kind, don't shake it. Because when you shake a gin drink, specifically a martini, but any kind of gin drink, if you shake it, you're kind of killing some of those flavors that you find in your gin. If it's a vodka martini, go ahead and, and shake it. Like you'll, you'll probably like it better because you dilute it a little bit more by shaking it. And in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with vodka, but there's nothing special about vodka. It just, vodka is vodka. Yeah. Gins are unique and have a lot of flavors and you don't wanna, you don't wanna kill those off at all. Yeah, no, and that makes sense. And that, that's kind of in line with what I'd read. It does say though that shaking, uh, it leads to some dilution because you're shaking it with the ice. Uh, so some of that ice and, and or ice chips are gonna break off and get poured in there. So again, based on your taste preference, it may water the flavor down a little bit. It says if it is a cocktail with juice, milk, cream, or eggs, you shake it. Everything else, you should probably just do more stirring. You're, you're going to be better off. Is that a line? Yeah. If, if you're doing a gin drink, if for like a gin martini and you want it to be kind of diluted a little bit more, I would say just stir it longer in your mixing glass until it dilutes more. And then I would agree with like the cream and the eggs, it should be shaken depending on like what you're making. Yeah, like I wouldn't shake Russian. a white Russian, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I would not shake a white <laughs> Russian. There's no need. The dude would not abide. <laughs> yep, <laughs> there you go. But like egg it. whites, definitely you want to shake that. And, and you shake them. This is something we covered in the, the Pisco episode. You shake them. You do not blend them. Don't ever, ever, ever blend them because you just get that super foamy blah stuff. If you shake it, you get the foam, but it's sounds weird, but a quality foam. It's a more, I think, dense foam and it, and it, and it just sits nicely. When you blend it, you just get air. Totally. And there's, I see a lot of people doing, I think they're doing sours wrong where you first want to add your egg white, your citrus, and your sugar, the simple, together in the shaker first. No ice. You shake that, like considered a dry shake. Shake it really hard. Break it all up. Then you add your booze. Then you add your ice and you shake it again. You'll get an even better foam and a better little head on there. Um, so I want to have people try doing it that way you'll, you'll you'll like it much better if you try it that way i'm gonna remember that that's that's for sure i had not heard that before that's good one of the things i have learned is you do add that ice last and i think that again just gets to less of its melting less of its watering down the flavor you add it last you shake it quick pour it out and then you get the cold little bit of water but you don't have to you know you don't get all that again just runoff i guess yeah, I, I personally always want to taste the booze that I'm drinking. I don't want it to be hidden away in in the drink, unless it's bad booze. Then then you can <laughs> hide it. 
Okay, well, I have learned a ton today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Anything you want to kind of impart on the, we covered six, uh, six today. So on, on any of those six cocktails or just even cocktails in general? Um, I would say the six that we talked about today and a lot of the classics that you find out there are actually very easy to make. And there are a lot of YouTube videos out there you can watch. Everyone should try making them at home because they're, they're very simple. You can make them to your personal preference and you'll, you'll enjoy your drink a lot more because you put your own little spin, you put your own intention into it. Yeah. And I'd agree. I've started making them at home and it's a lot of fun. At first I was very nervous. Then I made them and I'm like, oh, this is actually good. And then once I had that confidence, exactly they're saying, then I start like, ooh, if I do a little of this, I do a little of that. And then like I said, yeah. a spoonful of cherry juice in the old fashioned. Oh, wow, that's even better. And so you kind of sure. really are, can get the cocktail that you really, really want, which is awesome because then you can have it at home. But it gets a little sad because when you go out, you're just like, oh, I can't have the drink I like the way I like it. But it's all good. Yeah. And then you can impress your friends or whoever else with your skills behind the bar. Definitely. Awesome. Okay. Well, to get more information about The Unsophisticated Palette, you can go to theunsophisticatedpalette.com. Please do visit, give reviews, uh, tell your friends, neighbors, everybody else. And until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.